Lord, do you believe that this morning? Come on, sing it again. Oh, there's a mountain.
Jesus, my everything. Sing it out, you're my all in all, oh God. Jesus, my everything. Oh, Jesus, my everything. Sing that chorus. Because I love you, I need you. You're the reason that I live. Come move me, consume me. All to you, Lord, I give. Pour your oil of gladness. Turn my sorrow into joy. Jesus, my everything. my everything my all in all God Jesus my everything oh you're my all in all God and I worship you come on right now with hands lifted in this room just magnify the king that's above all kings we magnify the Lord that is above all lords we honor your presence oh you're my all in all, Jesus. You're my everything. You're my everything. And I worship you. And I worship you. How many are thankful for the freedom that we have in Jesus this morning? Amen. Lord, you're my all in all. Posted this on Facebook last night, but my family and I, we were scrolling through what to watch. It seems like the last three months, everybody's watched everything. <laughs> Just trying to figure out what to, you know, we usually, uh, before we all go to bed, we usually watch an Andy Griffith show, and there's, you know, um, eight seasons of that that you can only do so much of, but it never gets old for me. But last night, we found a movie, and I just started watching it, actually by myself, and all the kids were kind of painting and stuff in the in the uh, dining room and then everybody came in and got interested but it was the movie Miracle if you haven't seen it it's a phenomenal movie about the 1980 Olympics the uh, Miracle on Ice the hockey team that won the gold medal and uh, I think my mother was seven months pregnant with me during that time so if you guys watched it live <laughs> a little over 40 years ago but uh, as I was watching it they depicted it very well because after the movie then um, we, uh, I'm like, I got to YouTube this and just watch the live stuff of it. And um, it was amazing. I mean, the, how they mimicked it almost to a T. The announcer saying the same thing and just the same shots, the same camera angles. And one thing that just overwhelmed me was the audience that was chanting USA, USA, USA. And I wanted to stand up and just start singing, I'm proud to be an American. Because it seems like we're not hearing that a lot today. In some aspects we are. But last night I just, God, I was just, it was just amazing how the Lord just spoke to me and, and he just said, we live in such a blessed nation that there's, yeah, people around us that are not chanting USA. There's a lot of people around us that are not chanting Jesus is Lord. 
But church, I'm telling you, as a believer and as an American, I am proud to chant both. We live in a blessed nation, church, and I don't know if you understand that, but we live in a blessed nation. And I tell you, when the people of God and the church arises and we bless God in all that we do, God is going to continue to bless our nation. And, uh, and we're going to do this next song, and this is difficult for me because I know that we're all social distancing, so we can literally do what this song is going to say, but I just want you to where you're at and the spot that you're at and the seat that you're at to make it your altar this morning. Me and Pastor Gary were talking and I said, how are you feeling about people coming to the, <laughs> coming to the altar? And we're just like, it's just all up in air. We just, you know, but we want to be in compliance. We want to be sensitive to everything that's going on. But there is no reason why you can't make your chair an altar. There's no reason why you can't make your car an altar, your home, your closet, an altar to the Lord. And being a free American and being a believer that serves a God that loves me, I'm thankful that I can come to God freely and thank him for all that he's done and to lay my burdens at his feet. Amen. Thank you. 
just lift our hands and just sing that again. Come on, with every voice lifted. Deserves. you, but he's my king forever. You're my joy forever. Friend forever. Isn't the love of Jesus wonderful? Father, I'm thankful for your presence. Lord, I pray right now that as we dive into your word, God, that you would speak to us, pierce our heart. 
May we open it to receive what you have for us, O oh God. To pay attention, O oh God, in this busy world. To stop and to hear your voice. Speak to us this morning. In your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Do you love Jesus this morning? Amen. In his presence real. Do me a favor and give someone an air high five. Amen. to be opposed. The follower of Jesus Christ does not want to be opposed, but opposition is exactly what we're promised. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. Opposition is what separated Joseph from his family and threw him into a prison. It's what pushed Moses and the Israelites up against the Red Sea. It plotted the genocide of God's people in Susa during the time of Esther. Opposition towered over a shepherd boy with a slingshot, and it came out in droves against the king Jehoshaphat. Elijah stood opposed by 450 prophets of Baal. Opposition executed God's prophets, beheaded John the Baptist, and stoned Stephen outside the city. It presses in on the church today, prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But do not be scared. Take courage. The enemy hates those who fear the Lord. We know that Satan is the prince of the power of the air and oversees spiritual forces of evil. He orchestrates and motivates many forces against the follower of Jesus Christ, but fear him, who after he is killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Steady your heart in the fear of the Lord, firm in the promise of his salvation. Do not be scared. Take courage. It was courage that allowed Joseph to wait with patience in his prison until the appointed time of Israel's preservation. It caused Moses to part the Red Sea so they could walk on dry land. Courage accompanied Esther into the throne room of the king to save God's chosen people and took down a giant with a smooth river stone. It filled Jehoshaphat to rout the Moabites and Elijah to call down fire from heaven. Courage gave John the Baptist faith to make a way for the Lord and Stephen to see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Courage led the Son of Man to Golgotha, where opposition made its final stand and fell defeated at the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's courage that fills us today to resist the enemy, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by our brotherhood throughout the world. Opposition will come, but stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Well, good morning. Where were you when the lights went out? In the dark. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take just a minute here just to give a couple updates. 
And as we're trying to do our best to figure everything out around here, just so you know a little bit of my world, I get up at 5.30 almost every morning. I don't get up that early on Saturday. I get up at 6, but 5.30 every morning. And the first thing I do is check the COVID updates. What is facing me today? What are the choices we need to make? Numbers in Iowa are rising. And I read that this morning. There are businesses that are having to shut down a second time. I don't want us to have to do that. Okay, so we're just trying to do our best. And right now, you've done a great job. Give yourselves a hand. You're doing a great job social distancing. But other than the balcony, balcony, we're about at capacity. And what we'll begin to do and have ready this morning is an overflow room in BSC where you can at least watch it broadcast with other people rather than at home. Or you can come to second service. And then we have plans to continue to expand. So appreciate your help and support as we try to move forward. And those of you that are online, thanks for joining us. We're glad to have you here this morning. So we are going to move forward in another phase of ministry. Next Sunday, we will be launching kids' ministry in uh, Filling Station, not in Promised Land. That's a whole other challenge, but in Filling Station. Chairs are six foot apart. It'll be a large group setting with social distancing, and it will only be offered at the 1045 service. We're going to try it at one service because with all the sanitizing, everything we have to do, we're shooting for one service. That'll be at 1045 beginning next Sunday. And Pastor uh, Matthew has a great plan for us and uh, appreciate the work that's being done there. Also want to give a couple of welcomes this morning, a couple of good friends, ministry people. Alyssa Stroh, Director of Campus Ministries at University of Iowa, stand up black and gold. Give Alyssa a welcome this morning. And no, you cannot gather around her afterwards and talk to her. So that was it. That's all you got. And then over here, we have a vagabond that came in uh, hitchhiking his way to town, come back uh, to home. Pastor Kevin is here this morning. Pastor Kevin, stand up. Good to have you here this morning. And he'll be leaving through a private exit, so you can't talk to him. Um, the last thing that I want to say is make sure you go to our website. We're trying to reduce the length of the service and not do what I'm doing right now. Um, so go to the website and you'll have as much information there as we can provide for you. So glad you're here this morning. We're going to continue our journey through the book of Ezra. It's been an interesting journey thus far. We uh, get excited about Nehemiah and Esther, but Ezra and Nehemiah were one book. Seems like we're more excited about a tangible thing we can see being built than we are the establishment of worship. And that's just my bias as to why Ezra doesn't get more attention. But rising from the rubble doesn't begin with the temple itself. It begins with the altar and worship and the restoration of worship. And that's what the book of Ezra is about. Chapter 1 was a culture shift. As Cyrus said, you can go home. Chapter 2 was an identifying of family lineage and ministry calling to set things in order. And then you come to chapter 3 with such an exciting chapter, chapter 3, for 85% of the chapter, they're doing great. There's momentum. They're getting along. They're working together. And then people start to complain. Aren't we a funny bunch? We're a funny bunch. They start to complain, and the older crowd criticizes the work of the younger crowd. Does that sound familiar at all to anybody? Someone help me this morning or we're never going to get done. That's a normal thing to have happen. And the problem with that is the testimony was lost because people couldn't tell if they're criticizing or rejoicing. 
And here's what I want you to understand. When there's a breakdown, I want you to hear this. This is one of the main things I want to say this morning, and then you can leave. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I want you to stay at the end. When there's a breakdown of unity and health inside the body, you can bank on it that the devil will launch an attack from outside the body. We will never be defeated by outside pressures alone. Outside pressures only have an impact on us when the inside becomes unhealthy. And that breakdown within opens us to chapter 4 with external opposition and attacks that come against the church. Division inside will always defeat the entity that sustains it. We probably all heard of Abraham Lincoln's House Divided speech. It was one of his most popular speeches, one of the top three speeches of his career. It was given in 1858, and no, I wasn't present then. It was given in 1858 after he'd accepted the Illinois Republican Party nomination for the U.S. Senate. His speech closed the convention, and I want to read to you what he said. I want you to listen to the wisdom in this speech. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. Either the opponents of slavery will arrest the further spread of it and place it where the public mind shall rest and believe that it is in the course of ultimate extinction, or its advocates will push it forward till it becomes lawful in all the states, old as well as new, north as well as south. House divided cannot stand, and it's a principle of conflict that no entity, family, relationship, or business will exist in discord or division indefinitely. We will find a way to fix that, and we'll lean on one side or the other. We're dealing with that same kind of tension in America today. And I'll make some comments about that from this chapter to help clarify what's happening in Ezra. But this tension over racial division is something that our country cannot endure. We need to find an answer, not foment more division. How many are hearing what I'm saying? We need to be part of the solution as a church and not part of the problem. Because a house divided against itself cannot stand. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. So you have to recognize this morning that the destruction or attack that would bring about the fall of the church will not happen from outside pressure. It will be outside pressure that's opportunistic to respond when internal unity has been lost. And we are, a funny people, the things that will divide us. I read about a church where there was a division that began over an argument at a potluck supper. That's why we don't have potlucks. <laughs> Actually, I think it should be called pot dangerous. How many have ever been to one? Moving on. A lady brought a congealed salad that she made with Cool Whip instead of real whipping cream, and it split the church. That is not made up. 
And I've been in ministry long enough, Pastor Tim, to know that happened. Churches have divided over whether the pianist should sit to the right or the left side of the podium, over whether the Lord's Supper should be served from the front to the back or from the back to the front, whether the offering should be taken from the back to the front or the front to the back, over trying to decide whether a kitchen should be part of a church building or not. I read about a church that split over who the real pastor was. They had two pastors. Two groups thought they each had their own guy, and both pastors got up to lead a service one Sunday. Both of them led the singing. Both of them tried to out-preach each other at the same time. Finally, the service broke into fisticuffs, and police had to come and break it up. Listen, I pastored a church that split over two groups who elected this, called the same pastor at the same time. That really does happen. 1999 in Landover, Maryland. 100 years of history in that church was divided over an organ bench. Holy Creek Baptist Church was split in four sections. The source of the dissension was, I'm sorry, a piano bench which still sits behind the 1923 Steinberg to the left of the pulpit. People should have seen this coming. The congregation was getting ready to break apart for the last 10 years anyway. It's just a shame it had to be over the piano bench. At present, Holy Creek Congregation is having four services a day. Each faction has its own separate service with its own pastor, the services are far enough apart that neither group will come into contact with each other. That sounds like social distancing. <laughs> An outside party will be moving the piano bench to different locations and appropriate positions between services so as to please all sides and avoid any further conflict that they fear would erupt into violence. Why would I take time to tell you those stories? Because they're real? because I've watched them, and it's never the altar, the idea of praying and seeking God that divides us. It's the silly structure of uh, the mechanics of ministry that divide us. I know today some of you don't think we should social distance, and some of you think we don't do enough. But the goal should be, let's do what we can to come together and honor God and worship Him and lift the name of Jesus and move forward in his calling for us. How many of you are with me on that? We're doing the best we know how to do. And your support is greatly appreciated. In chapter 4, the wheels fall off. Outside pressure begins. And I want you to look at the outside attacks that come against the people of God when there's internal dysfunction. And the first temptation or attack that will come against the church are unholy alliances unholy alliances the bible says in the beginning of chapter 4 that the enemies of judah and benjamin heard that the exiles were building it's important to recognize that these people are the enemies of israel and they're going to come alongside and offer to help why would the enemies of the church offer to help the church because the best way to undermine the working of a church is to work your way in with a phony agenda and begin to weaken things from the inside out. And these enemies of Israel are saying, 
let us help you. We seek the same God. We love the same God. We worship the same God. Let us come alongside and help you. It is, it is, it is incredibly important that the church maintains authenticity and integrity in who we link arms with. You can have a broad tent so wide that the church no longer has an edge. It no longer even resembles what God called the church to be. Who were these people that are offering to help? They were mixed race people in that country. Now, some of you will read that and say, are they talking about ethnic superiority? Is this a racial issue here? This is not a racial issue at all. In the Old Testament times, here's what happens. When one family from one faith tradition marries another family of another faith tradition, the end result is a breakdown of faith altogether, either a denial of faith or something we would call syncretism, that the two faith structures merge into one that's a hybrid of both. This has nothing to do with them being Assyrians. It's that Assyrians worshipped a plethora of gods. And they built temples to each of their gods, believing that each god lived in each house. And so they're saying, we worship God just like you. No, they don't. No, they don't. And you can't, you can't engage that. We have to be careful who we link arms with. I'm going to say some things here that are a little bit controversial. And I, I rarely do this. But we have to be careful in what fashion and in what method the church of Jesus Christ identifies itself with because you can agree together for a good cause with an ungodly group and then lose your voice when it comes time to speak to that issue. Christianity and Islam are not compatible. They are not compatible. There are those who would say that Islam worships the same God. Well, we can talk about the God of Abraham and we can talk about missionary endeavors, but there's a movement in the world today called Chrislam that's a mixing of Christianity and Islam, and the end result of that will be the death of both faith structures. And we have to be really careful, even if for a good cause you join hands with a with a religious institution that we don't agree with, you can lose your voice in speaking to the distinction. That's why Paul would not allow a demon-possessed divination woman to speak support of his ministry, lest there be a link that would take away his ability to speak. I'm going to say something this morning that probably within the next 10 years will be illegal for me to say. Christianity and homosexuality are not compatible. Christianity and adultery are not compatible. There's only one form of sexual relations that the Bible endorses and promotes, and that's one man, one woman in a committed relationship for life. Everything else is sin. And while there are pro-life gay groups, we need to be careful who we link arms with to a good cause lest it weaken and diminish our faith testimony. I'm just saying we have to be careful. Young man that I know very well posted on Facebook this week, and it broke my heart. 
He said, I'm a Christian and I am gay. Now, I understand propensities and God forgives. That's a whole other discussion. But you cannot practice gay sex and be a Christ follower. Our kids, our students, the young adults need us to proclaim that. And we need to be careful who we link arms with lest our ability to speak in the issue, to the issue is compromised by our cooperation on a secondary issue. You don't have to agree with me. There are a lot of things you don't agree on, but this is my message. <laughs> Unholy alliances. Syncretism. Let me take it a little further. Can I, since this isn't a holiday season? It's an unholy alliance. Oh, I just scared myself. Let me say it this way. I'm gonna, I just edited my sermon. This sounded so good in my office. I think it's fine for Christians to include some expression of Santa Claus in your, Christian, in your Christmas traditions. Don't misunderstand me. But when your kids know more about Santa than they know about the babe in Bethlehem, that's an unholy alliance. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm not trying to assassinate Santa Claus. I'm saying to you, we have to be careful about unholy alliances. When they know more about the Easter bunny than they know about the resurrection of Christ, it's an unholy alliance. Is anyone hearing me this morning? We have to be careful about unholy alliances. And there's some things that I may agree with someone on an issue, but I can't join with them on the issue because it compromises the bigger issue, which is an expression of faith. When this group that we're trying to mix Assyrianism with Judaism that already had because they'd already married Israelites and were successful in watering down faith want to become part of what's happening, what does Zerubbabel say? He says, you have no part of us. Our orders come from a different king than your king. Whoo! I like that. I'm, I guess it didn't go over well, but you hang with me. We'll get this over with. Our orders, are you hearing me right now, come from a king different than your king. And that's the king we're going to listen to, King Jesus. If we lose our identity, we can identify with many other things, but we cannot afford to compromise our faith for material gain. Second, how many are ready to move on? That's the controversial part. The rest of this is pretty good. Take a breath. Some of you are as pale as a sheet right now. What happened to you? <laughs> Second is imposed anxiety. The external attack is an imposed anxiety. What do you mean by that? They'd already conquered their internal fears in earlier chapters when they were afraid of what was going to happen in chapter 3. They overcome their fears, but now the pressure on the outside is to try to make them afraid. Their enemies attack them with discouragement and fear. King James says, Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. 
This attack did an issue from within, but they were made susceptible because of the dysfunction within to the external suggestions of fear and discouragement. It was a plot by the people who claimed that they wanted to help. Listen, hear me this morning. There's a voice out there that we need to quit listening to. There's a conspiracy mentality that would cause Christians today to lock yourself in your basement and try to get ready to survive what will happen in our world today. There is not a time in Scripture where Jesus said, go in your basement and lock the door unless you're there to pray. He did say, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, regardless of political ramifications, regardless of social constructs, regardless of pandemics. We are not to enter into a survival mode that says we're all going to die. The end of the world is coming. It is coming. But the plan is for us to communicate the gospel to anyone who will listen. And I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm not going to live by fear. I'm not going to let it govern my life. I'll live by prudence. I'll live by wisdom and try to do the right things. But I refuse to get up every morning and believe that the church is dead. The church is alive and well. And then I'm listening to church leaders, religious leaders say, well, people are never going to come back. The church is never going to be the same. I told you last week, I don't think it'll ever be the same. I think it'll be better. Amen. I said, I don't think it'll ever be the same. It'll be better. Every time the church has faced a challenge, it comes through it. Two things happen. You know what happens first? It gets pruned. It gets pruned. And then after, and you know what's happening right now? We're in a pruning time. We're in a pruning time. What comes forward after pruning and purging? Greater fruitfulness. The goal is to produce fruit. Somebody help me this morning. Does anybody hear what I'm talking about? This outside force that's telling us, you should be afraid. You may not live. You might die. I know I might die. And I am not going to walk up to someone with the coronavirus and say, breathe on me. <laughs> but if, I, if I'm alone in my car, I'm not wearing a mask. <laughs> Jesus, help us. There's this outside force that's trying to make us afraid for its own agenda. There is a, you have to understand, church, that the battle we fight isn't against a political party. I almost said a name. Isn't against a political party, one side or the other. It's not about governmental structures. Did you forget we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. That's where our battle is. And I also read, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I'm not going to allow external imposition of fear to cause me to be afraid. You say, why do you get up at 5.30 then and read the news about the coronavirus? Because if I don't, somebody's going to call me and tell me anyway. <laughs> and I'd rather read it for myself and ask Jesus what my response should be 
before someone calls me and tells me what I ought to do. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm talking about not living by fear, not living by discouragement. Could be the end of the world. Let me tell you, when I was pastoring, Pastor Tim, you'll relate to this. First church I pastored was a home missions church. I was paid more as a youth pastor before I went to um, Old Wine. And Mike and Maureen remember those early days that at Old Wine, there were, there were 35 people there and uh, almost nobody had a job. It was a time of the farm crisis. Um, farmers were committing suicide. I could tell you all those stories. And I sat in my office one day and I heard that voice of fear. How many have heard the voice of fear? And I thought, what are we going to do? We can't pay the bills. The district's helped us all they can. I can't pay the utilities. If I pay the utilities, I can't buy curriculum. If I buy curriculum, I can't pay the utilities. And if I, if I want to get paid, I can't pay utilities or curriculum. And if I want to go home and be happy tonight, I need to be paid. <laughs> How many are hearing what I'm saying? I sat there thinking, what am I going to do? I didn't sign up for this. Anybody ever feel that way? Didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this. It's happening right now. Never in my wildest dreams would I figure out how we could manage the church smaller. Never, ever dreamed of that. I sat there and thought, and all of a sudden this image came into my mind of driving up to the front of the church. And I saw a big log chain through the doors to the outside with a big padlock and a, and a notice that said closed due to failure to pay and I heard a voice say what are you going to do then I looked out my window and across the street was a cornfield and I said if they put a padlock on that church and don't let me in I'll grab a soapbox I'll stand in the middle of that cornfield and I'll preach to ears of corn because Jesus called me to be a proclaimer of the gospel and I'm not going to live by fear. Is there anyone in the house right now? I'm not going to live by fear. I'm going to live by his calling and his purposes for my life. And when outside forces try to get you to collapse, recognize it for what it is and rebuke it in the name of Jesus. I'm not telling you it's spiritual to be stupid, but it's not spiritual to live in fear either. Moving along, people who are discouraged and fearful will always withdraw from battle. Third, verse 5, they hired adversaries. They hired adversaries. They bribed officials to work again. This one really ticks me off. Really ticks me off. They bribed government officials to work against them. Bribing and biased and bribed government authorities are a bane on society. But if you think for a minute it doesn't work, you're mistaken because bribery may not come in an outright form, but there are two things that politicians in a secular culture um, respond to more than anything else. First is money, and more important than money is power. And people can be bribed against the church, and that's happening in our day. And we can look out there and say, it's not fair. The climate's not fair. Look at the Liberty Foundation, other groups like that and what they're battling across the country. And please, it's not like uh, here in the United States, it's not like it, like it is in some other countries. I don't worry that on my way home, I'm going to be shot down by a machine gun. But I've seen pictures in other countries 
where leaders of a church have experienced that very thing. I saw a picture in Iran of a car, of a, of a church worker riddled with bullets and her blood on the outside of the car. Don't tell me that we're experiencing persecution like they are. But we are experiencing an increasing, though more subtle, form of persecution. It often happens to the faith community. Sometimes the deck is stacked against you. And authorities are working together to frustrate plans. 2019, and I have this written down here, Alyssa. Um, I'm not doing this because you're here. 2019, the University of Iowa de-recognized a Christian group, Business Leaders in Christ, because it screens its leaders to make sure they agree with and can represent the group's religious beliefs. They said our leaders have to be Christian, and they got de-recognized, and it's happening at campuses all over the country. And you say, well, that's not fair. No, it isn't. And you can say, well, how come, uh, uh, how come this group can meet and this group can't? I'm just telling you, Jesus never said it would be fair. Yes, there are those that are being motivated to war against us. We've been called all, all kinds of things over the years by politicians. Zoning ordinances get changed to keep churches from building. I read in a place where zoning ordinances were changed to stop small group house churches or small group gatherings in a community. Only so many could gather in one place at one time. Yes, it is happening. Yes, it's happening for an ungodly cause, but you have to understand that that's part of the system we lived in, live in. Bribed adversaries. Number four is false accusations. They began to lie about the people. They made up lies about the motivation of the Israelites. The king claims to investigate and says the lies are true. It's happening today. We're lied about on all kinds of platforms. And sometimes we're even lied about by fellow Christians. They attack with false accusations. And when there is no unity in the body of Christ, there's no defense against the accusations. We need to live a lifestyle of truth. We need to live a lifestyle of truth. That we're seen to be people of truth. And if you're a liar, you're not helping the kingdom. Then last is legal action. Artaxerxes orders the work to stop. He believes it all. What Cyrus started that was going so well, we come to chapter 4, and after they fall apart on the inside, they fall apart on the outside, and what they saw was the answers to their prayers are now being told that it cannot happen. They threaten them not only with legal action, they threaten them with military action. And so what the Jews do is they go into military training and they stock up warfare and they come up with cannons and jets and tanks and they blow up Artaxerxes and his kingdom and they just build a whole new world. Well, that'd be a better story than what happened. None of that happened. When Artaxerxes said stop and threaten military action, you know what they did? They stopped. They stopped. I want you to hear me. Every war isn't winnable. Yeah. 
And there are times <laughs> when it is the prudent thing to not fight back. And we have to learn the difference. You can win a battle and lose the war. Well, why aren't you doing something? Why are we just standing here? Why don't we fight back? Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully. When you've lost the battle on the outside, go back to the inside. Get back to that place of prayer and get new marching orders. Because it appears, doesn't appear, the wheels fell off the bus and the work of the kingdom is over. It has ceased. Can you imagine how depressing? Imagine with me how depressing that is. Imagine that you were in Persia and you came with Cyrus and you saw what could be with the building of the altar, sat the brazen altar back on its original foundation and the foundation for the temple is laid and you, and you took everything you had and you gave money and you invested and you came all the way across country and you're there and it's going so well and your hopes and dreams for the future are now dashed and it's over. It's really easy at that point to turn on those inside the body. If you hadn't criticized, if you hadn't made such a ruckus, if you'd been supportive, if you hadn't been so aggressive, is anybody hearing me this morning? There comes a moment where it just needs to stop. Are you ready? Because I've preached everything for one word. I've preached it for one word. Some of you need this word this morning. I want you to look at that last verse. Pastor Nathan, if you come. I want you to look at that last verse of chapter 4. Thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. I'm going to read this differently. I'm going to read it the way God birthed it in my spirit this week. Thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until. Whoo! Until. You'd be in Jerusalem and you'd say, it's over. The king has said it's done. Oh, no. God always has an until there may be a period of time but this isn't shut down at the decree of artaxerxes it's been said it isn't over till the size challenged woman sings yogi Berra said it ain't over till it's over well i've got a better one for you i don't care what your world looks like today I don't care what you've been believing for. I don't care if it looks like there's no progress and the work of God in your life has stopped. It's only over until there's a new word from heaven, until there's a new move of God, until God issues a new decree. The fact that the king says it's done isn't the answer. It's not stopped forever. It's only stopped until... And some of you need an until word from God this morning.
I need an until word from God. I have a situation that we're facing that I need an until. An until word from God. It's not over now. It's only over until. Come on, somebody help me this morning. It's only over until. You may have been believing God for something to happen in your family, in your life, in your ministry. And it seems like it's come to a grinding halt. Don't believe it for a minute. It's not over forever. Are you hearing me? It's only over until. God gives a fresh word. I'm glad I came this morning. This is helping me. And I'm going to ask you this morning. We can't come lay hands on you. By the way, let me just tell you this. You say, well, why not? Don't you trust God? I do trust him, and I intend to use wisdom. And I can tell you three men who went around laying hands on the sick saying corona couldn't touch them, and they're dead today. Okay, so I'm not playing those games of presumption. But I do trust a God that can meet me even if I'm six feet away from you. And if you need an until word from God, you're saying, Pastor... You're talking to me today. What I believe, it's the wheels have fallen off the bus. What I've trusted for, what I've wanted, what I've believed for. It seems like Artaxerxes has made it stop. But I need to know from God it's not forever, it's just until. I know you're here. God burdened this in my heart. I want you to stand up right now where you are. We're going to stretch hands toward you. I need an until word from God. I'm not accepting what the king says. I serve a different king. Hello? I serve a different king. And until his answer comes, I'm not going to give in to internal division. And I'm not giving up to external opposition. I'm going to wait for a word from my king until he decrees. And I can rest. Whoo! I can rest in that. This isn't forever. Are you, is anybody hearing me this morning? This isn't forever. It's just until. Write that on your mirror. Put it on your refrigerator. Until. Because he's got another answer. Would you rest you look at who's standing right now? Just reach your hand toward them. Pastor Nathan's going to lead us in worship. And I'm going to ask for God to give you an until moment this morning. That in the middle of your problem, you don't see it today as the end. You see it as until. Right now, I want you to ask him for an until moment. Lift your hands, stretch your hands. Pray out loud. Come on. We can pray out loud. God, give us an until revelation from you this morning. We need an until revelation of your authority and your power and your wisdom. Everybody stand and let's give God our heart and praise. Until, until it's not over, it's just until. Walking around these yes. I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me Waiting for change to come Knowing the battle 
Pastor Tim, I didn't ask you if I could do this, but I know Corey Thomas's story. There probably were nights that seemed like it was forever. 
walked up as about as far away from God as you can walk and look like, but it wasn't forever. It was a mom and dad who believed it was only until. Whoo! Your situation isn't forever. It's only until. It's only until. Until when? Until I win the battle or Jesus takes me home. But it's only until. And I'm not submitting to the, to the dysfunction within or the opposition from without. We may deserve to be here even. But he's a God of grace. And it's only until. Lord Jesus, in your name, give us faith this morning to believe that the battle we're in is not forever. It's only until. And I will wait on you and I will listen for you and I will submit to you and I will follow you until there's a new decree from heaven. In Jesus' name. And everyone that receives that this morning said, Amen, 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 Amen.